amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. What's up, weirdos? Welcome back to episode number 47 of the History for Weirdos podcast. We are a little rusty because we've tried to record this intro like three times. Yeah, and this is, I think, finally the right one. Hopefully. Um, We're very happy to be back. We're very happy to be back. And you know what? I just want to take a moment to thank you all for all the kind messages Mm -hmm. we got when we had COVID. And thank you so much for the understanding about missing a week. Uh, it was rough. Yeah. And you know what's kind of funny is I remember the last time that we did this, mm-hmm. I literally remember saying like, oh yeah, I feel great. And oh. you were like, yeah, I don't feel so great. And then like <laughs> literally like 48 hours later, I had like a 102 degree fever and I had COVID. Yes. So, and um, for me, just later that night, I developed a fever. Right. Um, so it's been a journey since we last spoke with you weirdos, but... Again, we're doing much better. We really appreciate how sweet everyone was Mm -hmm. in checking in on us. And thank you so much. We're very excited to be back. Yeah, we're really excited to be back. And without further ado, you know what? Let's just jump right into it. Steph, it is your turn this week. What do you have for us? Well, before I get into the subject of today's episode, I Mm -hmm. do have a little introduction and context. Oh. Some background story. All right, all right, all right. So people all over the world are at least familiar with the fame and influence of this like little band called the Beatles, mm, right? Never heard of them. Oh, okay. Well, I'll give you a quick <laughs> recap here for context. Perfect. So the Beatles, for those of us who may not know, like Andrew, right, uh, were a British rock band and cultural icon that formed in Liverpool in 1960, and they heavily influenced not just rock music, but music in general, as well as fashion, drug culture, politics. <laughs> oh my god. They're kind of famous. I guess they're kind of a big deal. Yes. So the Beatles bandmates included John Lennon, Paul McCartney, now known as Sir Paul McCartney. Oh, right, right. George Harrison, and Ringo Starr, who was born Richard Starkey. They are also known as the Fab Four. Oh. So they're widely regarded as the most influential band to date, right? And to yeah. illustrate this, I just want to share some numbers here about Ooh. the Beatles. So the Beatles have sold 1.6 billion singles in the United States and 177 million albums. So, like, whatever. It's not a big deal. This is the U.S. alone. Oh, my God. So worldwide album sales are over 600 million. The number of Beatles singles to reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100 is 21, the most by any band ever. Oh, my God. And the number of times their song Yesterday has been covered by other artists is over three 
thousand, making it the most covered song of all time. Oh my god, that's so nuts. So for today's episode, I will be discussing the fifth Beatle. Oh. The man who discovered and empowered the band that would change the world, Brian Epstein. Aww. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about Brian. Right, right, right. In November of 1961, 27-year-old Brian Samuel Epstein was managing the record department of NEMS, N-E-M-S, all capital for some reason. Okay. NEMS department store, which was owned by his family. So he's not even managing the store owned by his family. He's managing their record section. That's like the only thing he's allowed to, to manage <laughs> so at this point. So he wasn't super competent at his job, I'm guessing, or they, the family just didn't even trust him? I'll get into that a little bit more. Okay. Um, he, at this time though, he, he likes music, so they're like, sure, you can manage the records. And he heard about a local Liverpool band that was becoming really popular, so he decided to go to the Cavern Club to check them out. Oh. Side Does note. the Cavern Club still exist? Yes, I think it still exists, but it's very different than the original one, is what um, I've heard. Gotcha. Because um, it did close down at some point and then has reopened for like touristy reasons. Mm-hmm. So a quick side note, at this time, the band that he's going to see is the Beatles. Spoiler. And it's actually <laughs> comprised of John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Pete Best on drums. Pete Best is fired and then replaced by Ringo Starr in 1962. Man, that would suck to be this guy, Pete Best. Like, that would absolutely suck. Pete Best, from what I have heard, did have a rough go about it for a while, but he tours with his own band now. Aww. And has for a really long time. Like, he got better and he has his own musical career. Right. I wonder if he, like, goes around saying, I'm the fifth Beatle. Well, he's not. Um, oh, snap. it's Brian Epstein. <laughs> so the first time mm-hmm. Brian goes to see these guys perform, he st- he said later in an interview, he commented, I was immediately struck by their music, their beat and their sense of humor on stage. And even afterward, when I met them, I was struck again by their personal charm. And it was there that it all started. He met with the band a few times and then they eventually all agreed to work together. However... McCartney, Harrison, and Best are all under 21, and therefore at this time they needed the consent of their parents to enter into a contract, which is so cute. Wait a minute, so even though they were over 18, yeah. it was 21 was that legal limit age? Yeah, I don't know if huh. that's the case today in the UK, but at the time it was. Wow. So Best and his mom were really impressed with Brian Epstein. They thought he was super professional because he wore expensive suits and he had a big car. <laughs> Oh Those God. are really good prerequisites. Right. So Pete Best's mom was on board right away. George Harrison's family, they were like, whatever. McCartney's father was skeptical. And this is allegedly due to some anti-Semitism on his part. Oh, Epstein. Yeah. Uh-huh. But he ultimately agrees to sign the contract. And again, just a reminder, um, Brian Epstein is 27 at this time when he discovers the Beatles. And then John Lennon's aunt and guardian is Mimi Smith. He didn't live with his biological parents. I think at this point, at this point, his mom has passed away. Um, she was against the idea, thinking that, like, she didn't really take the band seriously. And she's like, this dude's going to lose interest in you guys anyway. But Lennon had just turned 21, so he got to ignore his aunt's advice and sign the contract anyway. Oh, that's awesome. 
The Beatles signed a five-year contract with Epstein on, it's in European numbers again, I wrote it down, 24 January 1962. <laughs> European numbers? Oh my god. Um, January 24th, 1962. Yes, that's when they signed the contract and they gave him, this is what it says, 10 to 15% of their income. So, like, <laughs> what? what type of... What type of contract is that? Oh, yeah, 10 to 15, you know, somewhere in there. Somewhere in the middle. Um, Even though at this point he had zero experience in the entertainment industry, let alone being a band manager. Right. Right. So Brian Epstein very famously cleaned up their image by having the Beatles ditch their leather jackets and jeans in favor of their iconic suits. Oh, yeah. He encouraged them to stop swearing, smoking, and eating while they performed on stage. But uh, off stage. Off stage, they could do those things. Eating? Wow. They would like, they were young, rowdy men, right? And they were playing at a lot of local gigs. This, prior to meeting Brian Epstein, prior to them getting some popularity in Liverpool, they had gained most of their musical experience by performing in brothels in Hamburg, Germany. Right. So they didn't have, like, a lot of stage presence yet. (laughs) But they were really, like, fun and charming, right? Okay, yeah. So Epstein's like, I think we should stop, like, eating in the middle of the performance. And they were like, okay, we could get with that. They were a little rough around the edges. They were a little rough around the edges, for sure. So he even got the Beatles to start playing actual sets. Like, he was like, why don't we make a set list? Oh, my gosh. Revolutionary. And then you guys can perform. Um, so right from the beginning, he had a vision to transform a group of rowdy young men who had some minor local fame into the biggest band in the world, and he did just that. Damn. Like, no big deal, right? No big deal. So let's go back a little bit and learn some of Brian Epstein's early life. Oh, I like this. This is like one of those movies that starts <laughs> off in the middle, and then we go to the beginning. Like, and then we go back. And we go back. Oh my god. Yeah. I'm a storyteller. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a podcaster. <laughs> you know what? I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. it's pretty cool. It's kind of kind of cool. It's called History for Weirdos. Wow. Yeah, I do it with my husband. <laughs> Who's that? Some dude. You don't want to know. Okay. Um, so Brian Epstein was born in Liverpool in 1934 wow. to Harry and Queenie Epstein, who were of Eastern European Jewish descent and had built a successful department store business, which nice. we already talked about. Right. Before becoming the man who discovered the Beatles, he did face major obstacles and setbacks in his life. He was reportedly teased and bullied a lot as a boy. And to address this, his parents just moved him from boarding school to boarding school. Hmm. In one letter to his parents, he shared with his dad that he wanted to be a fashion designer. And his dad got really upset with him and told him he wouldn't allow it and then made him move schools again. Hmm. Um, He drops out of school altogether by the age of 16. Oh my goodness. Very young. Right. He was conscripted into the army in 1952, but was shortly after discharged due to, in quotes, unspecified psychiatric reasons. He later began seeing a psychiatrist after being discharged um, that was a close family friend. Okay. And he disclosed to the psychiatrist that he was gay. Mm-hmm. So people suspect that's what got him discharged, ultimately, right. and they just didn't put in the documentation. The psychiatrist? I don't know like what HIPAA was like back then. Well, it's England, <laughs> so they didn't have HIPAA. You know, they had some whatever. Well, they had their, their equivalent. Yeah. yeah. 
Because the psychiatrist tells his parents. Oh my god. That would get you, like, your license would be revoked today. For yes. something like that. It's not chill <laughs> in clinical terms. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so he tells Brian Epstein's parents, and then he recommends that Brian leave Liverpool ASAP. Um, homosexuality at this time was illegal in the UK, and wow. it was very, very common for people to actually be incarcerated for this. Wow. Man, it's good to hear other countries having more regressive laws than ours. Yeah, every once in a while. There we um, go, baby. So Brian's parents were like, okay, I guess we'll get him out of here. And then he moved to London and he enrolled in the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in hope of becoming an actor. But he didn't like it or it didn't work out because he drops out pretty quickly. Hmm. He then returns to Liverpool and his parents are like, Ugh, I guess you can work in the record store. <laughs> Um, in general, I should, I didn't actually mention this at the beginning. I love the Beatles. Andrew knows this. Mm -hmm. My friends and family all know this. This love stemmed from, obviously I grew up listening to it with my dad and my mom, um, learned English a lot through listening to the Beatles music. That's so crazy. Mm hmm Which would be, their lyrics are so nonsensical. I feel like that would be very confusing. <laughs> yeah. But my love from it actually came from an undergraduate course that I took called The Beatles at USC. Uh, in our music school, this class is hosted very famously by Professor Beersock. So I, I, he shared a lot of information that I actually couldn't find online. And I don't know why that is. But I really, this man is like quite an authority on The Beatles. So right. I feel comfortable citing him and what I like my notes from that course and basically I remember him telling us that it's not that Brian Epstein's family was cruel or wanted to exclude him right he worked with his family mm -hmm. um, but he really was seen as kind of like the outsider and the person that couldn't really get it together mm -hmm. because he you know drops out of school he joins the military the military kicks him out he tries to become an actor he drops out of there so he was just seen as like you know, like he couldn't get it together, right. basically, at this point in his life. They didn't have a ton of faith in him. Um, that's not to say by any means, you know, how their relationship was, I don't know. But they're, they kind of are like giving him this minor responsibility to be like, well, let's see if you could do this right mm -hmm. and see what you do with it. Mm -hmm. So when he tells them, you know, shortly after starting working in their store, like, no, you guys, I'm going to be a band manager now. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I could only imagine that they're just going to lose their shit. They weren't really happy about it. No. But he did it anyway. Good for him. So let's go back to the middle where we where our boy starts making moves. Nice. It was... This section is literally titled Making Moves, by the way. In my notes. Making yeah, I wrote notes. Making Moves. <laughs> So it's I love that. Brian Epstein's passion and persistence that finally get the Beatles their first recording contract, right? Oh, snap. They, they had many rejections. Like, no one wanted to even give them an audition, basically. Wow. Uh, he, they signed their first contract with EMI Parlophone. EMI. Yeah, I've heard of EMI. Mm -hmm. He also is the... He is also credited with getting George Martin to be their music producer. And George Martin was an incredible influence on their sound and the mm. Beatles' ability and confidence to experiment musically, which oh, they do cool. a lot, especially later in their career. Right. 
which was weird because George Martin wasn't a music producer. He was known for producing comedy records. That's so weird. But he had excellent musical taste. Right. I um, mean, apparently. So th- And this was an impressive connection because George Martin was very unimpressed when he first heard a recording of the Beatles. <laughs> um, George Martin later shared, and I quote, What I said to Brian was, if you want me to judge them on what you're playing me, I'm sorry, but I'll have to turn you down. Wow. He was so disappointed. I felt really sorry for him, actually, because he was such an earnest young man. So I gave him a lifeline. I said, if you want to bring them down from Liverpool, I'll give them an hour in the studio. And obviously, it worked. And it ended up changing everyone's lives. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so rude, babe. I know, I'm sorry. So then in 1963, the lead single from their album of the same name, Please Please Me, topped the UK charts and began a streak that would see 11 of their 12 studio albums through 1970 reach number one. So almost every single one reached number one. Yeah. What was the one that didn't? Do you know? I don't remember, no. So later in 1963, Brian Epstein travels to the United States and he booked an appearance for the band on Ed Sullivan's popular Sunday evening variety television program, The Ed Sullivan Show. Wow. This is kind of a big deal. That's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember... So my stepdad's super old. <laughs> and he he actually remembers watching that live. And it was like, what the hell? It was huge. Yeah. The, the, this is a very famous performance now. Mm-hmm. Um, they performed live on the Ed Sullivan Show on February 9th, 1964. So that's nuts that Jeff remembers that. Yeah. And they began what is known as the international craze of Beatlemania. At this point, Brian Epstein is 30. John and Ringo are both 24. Paul is 22 and George is 21. Wow. They're babies. Well, yeah, dude, 30. There we go, baby. There we go. That 30. was his first big hit was 30. Okay, good. I, I still have some hope, I guess. <laughs> so I'm going to actually put a link to a YouTube video of the performance of I Want to Hold Your Hand on the Ed Sullivan Show in the show notes because it's so cute. Oh, It's really sweet in case anyone hasn't seen it or if you're just a big Beatle fan like me and you want to watch it. So I'll put that right. in the show notes. So after this big success, the Beatles go on tour in 1965, and then Brian Epstein orchestrates their next huge move, which is their sold-out concert in Shea Stadium. And that was the first, what, I'm sure you'll talk about it, never mind. No, you're you're on the, that's the next thing in my notes, it's the first stadium concert in history. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that's crazy, Shea Stadium, does that still exist? No. The last performance there was Paul McCartney and I think Billy Joel. Paul McCartney uh-huh. and Bon Jovi. Paul McCartney and so someone with B, a B. <laughs> B and a J. Yeah. Paul McCartney was one of their was their last performance before they tore down the stadium. Oh, that's very fitting. Very fitting. So this concert was nuts. Nothing like it had ever happened before because they had fourteen cameras there to capture the euphoria and mass hysteria. That was known as Beatlemania. There were 55,600 people in attendance. And very, very famously, but very grossly, allegedly, people who attended reported that, like, as you were closer to the front, closer to the stage, you could smell urine. Because a lot of the young women peed themselves with excitement. That's like... (laughs) 
You know, you know what's crazy about that? That sounds like it's literally made up. Like like how like you know women weren't allowed on the first trains because they thought their uteruses would fall out. <laughs> yes, the men were like, "What if their uteruses?" Yeah, would fall that out? sounds like that's like the same level of absurdity. Okay, maybe maybe like a step down, but still like quite up there. These ladies went crazy. <laughs> they went ham. They went ham. So overall, what many biographers. And folks who worked with the band at the time have noted over and over again when you research the Beatles and you research Brian Epstein is that he was not exploitive like other managers of the time. Mm. He was very caring with them and he really believed in them. They really saw him as like the head of their family, basically. And it probably helped that he was just slightly older, but not that much older. Yeah, that's a good point. So I'm actually going to talk a little bit more about uh, their the relationship that Brian and John Lennon had. Oh, okay. So, as I mentioned, Brian Epstein identified as a gay man, which was illegal and highly stigmatized at the time. Um, But this was known amongst the Beatles and amongst his close circle of friends. Mm -hmm. It It is not publicly known until much later, but his inner circle knows what's up. So the Beatles didn't care at all about his sexuality. Um, They didn't harbor any prejudices against him. Although they were known, especially John, for teasing him about it, if anyone else teased him or made any sort of comments about it, they were very harsh. They had like a zero tolerance policy for anyone bothering Brian at Mm. all. Uh, So they were very protective of him. So lots of people believed that one of the reasons that Brian Epstein was so dedicated to these young men was because he was in love with John Lennon. Oh, snap. Yeah. And rumors about the pair exploded after the two men took a vacation together in Barcelona, Spain in 1963. And onlookers, onlookers, babe. Oh, onlookers. Onlookers suggested their relationship had, quote, escalated. Oh, looky-loos. Yes, a lot of looky-loos. <laughs> a bunch of chismosos there in Spain. <laughs> chismosos. Oh, and that, hey, chismosos, España. I don't know if they say chismosos in Spain. Chismosos, for those that may not know, means like gossips. Like but, a gossiper? But I don't know if that's Mexican slang or if they say that in Spain. Oh, yeah, I don't know. But anyway, this was directly denied by both parties, right? They were both mm. like, nope, nothing happened. Um, but then in 1980, John Lennon commented about that trip in an interview to Playboy magazine. And this is what he had to say about it. I was on holiday with Brian Epstein in Spain, where the rumors went around that he and I were having a love affair. Well, it was almost a love affair, but not quite. It was never consummated, but it was a pretty intense relationship. Weird. This is a very typical, cheeky, playful, mysterious, almost annoying John Lennon response, dare I say. Oh, shoot, and he would die shortly after that. He does die shortly after. Um, You can still find the full interview online, and you'll see the way he answers questions tends to be like, what does that mean? Yeah, he's very cryptic. Um, It's a really interesting interview because it's him and Yoko Ono being interviewed together. Mm. I recommend reading it. So then after that trip, right? Mm -hmm. After the Spain trip, um, in 1965, the Beatles released a song written by John Mm -hmm. called... You've got to hide your love away. It's a really famous. I mean, I love all their songs. Yeah, every song is famous to you. <laughs> it's a really famous song. It's really good. For anyone who hasn't heard it, look up. You've got to hide your love away. This is a side note, not relevant to what I'm about to say. But this song, he wrote it once. John Lennon wrote it when he was very envious of Bob Dylan. So it's oh, wow. very Bob Dylan e. 
he was like obsessed slash jealous he was like this dude's so good i want to sound like him it's funny because like when i i would not agree with that at all i'd feel like the beatles are far better than bob dylan Mm -hmm. but that's my own personal like preference yeah you i definitely think if you read the lyrics and you even it sounds a little more folky when you hear Mm -hmm. it um, it is very Bob Dylan influenced. You could totally tell. Right. Um, but that was just a side note. So many people have interpreted this song, You've Got to Hide Your Love Away, as being an empathetic exploration of what Brian Epstein was enduring as a gay man. Even though the song references a she in the mm-hmm. song, you can definitely see the parallels. Right. Like they had to. It was still literally illegal. That's very true. Like it wouldn't have been cool. Right. To say he, because then people would be upset. I mean, they and... could have run into even legal issues. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so personally, between Brian and John, I think the two were both really sensitive men who had experienced hardship. I didn't get into it because this wasn't an episode on John Lennon, but John Lennon had a really hard childhood. And I think they just really connected with each other. I don't think they were romantically involved. But at the same time, it's kind of nobody's business. It... Right, exactly. Except... Cynthia, who was John Lennon's wife at the time. Maybe it was her business. Yeah, it's a little bit her business, I guess. (laughs) John Lennon cheated on her a lot, so... Yeah. It wouldn't have been shocking. You're right. All right. So, unfortunately, we do take a turn here. There are some dark days for Mr. Brian Epstein. He experienced a lot of success, obviously. Everything I just talked about, this happened in a really short period of time. Right, just in a few years. Just in a few years to go from managing your mom and dad's record store to managing the biggest band in the world. Right, and getting them on the Ed Sullivan show, tens of millions of people watching, mm-hmm. like one of the highest rated, if not like the highest rated musical performance on the television program ever at the time. They like, were constantly touring all over the world. I mean, it's still referenced to this day, like mm-hmm. 60, 70 years, I don't know, a long, long time later. Yeah, they're like followed everywhere they went. They were followed by mobs. Like it's it's nuts. That's crazy. So he had a lot of success, but he also had his struggles. So for one, apparently he wasn't a very good businessman. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of um, the Beatles losing their rights to a lot of their songs comes from contracts that he signed without like fully reviewing them, I guess, without completely understanding. So it's very famous. Like later, I think, gosh, I think Michael Jackson owned a lot of the Beatles songs. Yeah, he did. Yeah. (laughs) The Beatles didn't own their songs, basically, which was partially due to their manager, right? That's part of the manager's job. Um, The band kept getting bigger and bigger. And Brian Epstein struggled with the physical pressure of like constantly touring, Mm -hmm. networking, going to parties a lot. As well as the emotional pressure of like all eyes are on us. Right. And I don't think I'm doing that great with the contract stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. Apparently not. So he developed dependencies on multiple substances such as pre- preludin, which is a stimulant, which was really widely abused at the time. Even the Beatles used it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he got dependent on it to stay awake. Oh, and it was like a legally prescribed drug at the time, or you did not require a prescription at the time. This oh was an God. over-the-counter stimulant. Jeez, mm-hmm. isn't it crazy? Like when these types of drugs are just like, yeah, you can buy them over the counter, but like, God forbid, marijuana or something like that. God forbid. It's like, wait, what? Yes. Like what? And like the cognitive dissonance is going on here. Exactly. The other drug that he was really addicted to was carbamol, which is a hypnotic barbiturate-like sedative. 
Jeez. So he needed the stimulant to stay awake, and then from being on stimulants all day, he would take a barbiturate to go to sleep. Oh my god. He also used LSD and pot, but just recreationally, not not um, with uh, any sort of level of dependency. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that you mentioned weed, babe. Yeah. Because in 1967, a private group called Soma published an advertisement. Ooh, an how, advertisement. How I write it in my head. Yes, an advertisement. In the Times, which called for the legislation of cannabis. I'm sorry, the legalization of cannabis. Yeah. The release of all prisoners imprisoned because of possession and research into marijuana's medical uses. Wow, that <laughs> that's crazy. That was in 1967. That's still very relevant today. 1967. So it said advertisement. Right. I think that means like just a, like they bought a chunk of paper. Yeah. You know, the paper too. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't like buy this. It was like, hey guys, this is a big issue. Right. So, um, this ad was signed by 65 people, including Brian Epstein, including the Beatles, 16 doctors, like very prominent doctors, and two members of parliament. Okay, so that's like a big deal. It was a big deal. And it was, of course, received with a lot of criticism. Of course. Epstein himself responded to the criticisms about the ad by saying, in quote, My opinion is that pot smoking is definitely less harmful than drinking alcohol. I'm not addicted to either, but I've been very drunk and I've been very high. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's a great answer. Yeah. Um, So while alcohol and pot may not have been a problem for him, Mm -hmm. stimulants and sedatives were, like Mm -hmm. I said. So Brian Epstein, he actually sought treatment for substance use disorder around the time Sgt. Pepper's being released. Like, I think while they're recording, he goes into a treatment facility and then... He comes out for a day to attend the release party, and then he goes back in. Oh, wow. Because um, Sgt. Pepper was huge. One of the best albums of all time. Just had to say that. I've been begging, weirdos, <clears throat> I've been begging Andrew to dress up in the Sgt. Pepper outfits with me for Halloween with, like, another couple friend, and he has denied me year after year. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just move on. <laughs> you all, if you think we should be... The Sergeant Pepper outfits for Halloween comment on Instagram. Yeah, if enough people comment, I think I'll do it. Really? Yeah. I don't know how... Maybe like 20 people. I get to be Ringo, though. I literally couldn't care less. Okay, this will be fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's finally released, right? Like, he's done with treatment. He's doing much better. And then, I kid you not, his dad passes away almost immediately after oh like unexpectedly and then brian epstein experiences a relapse Mm. about a week after his father's death on august 27th 1967 brian epstein is found dead no by his butler his assistant and his doctor because the butler tried to get into the door and he couldn't then the assistant came over and she tried to get into his room she couldn't so they called the doctor they break down the door and he's found in bed wearing his pajamas with a book resting in his hand. Like he had just been reading a book. And the mm-hmm. bed has a bunch of like open mail on it. Like he was reading mm-hmm. a book and checking the mail. Mm-hmm. His staff were homies. They quickly swept the whole house. This was in his like um, country estate. This wasn't in his London home. So it's like okay. a big estate. Oh, wow. They swept everything and removed all, quote, contraband. And mm. then they called the police. 
Oh, man, what homies. That's a really loyal staff. I know, wow. I mean, re- I was, that was very tender for me. I was like, that's nice. That's really nice, yeah. So it's released later that he had taken six sedatives in combination with alcohol, which oh, is determined geez. to be the cause of death. His death was ruled an accidental overdose. At the time of this happening, the Beatles are on a spiritual retreat with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, which is a story for another time, my friends. That was a weird trip, pun intended. (laughs) And they are absolutely shattered by this news. Um, They come home right away. They cut their this very weird weekend short, (laughs) but they didn't attend his funeral because they didn't want the press and the, all the fans to show up and bother his family. Oh. So they actually waited four weeks and in secret went to like a private memorial with friends and family. Because mm. they didn't want people making it. Like about them. About the Beatles. Mm-hmm. So Brian was only 32 years old at the time of his death. Oh, gone too soon, man. Incredibly, incredibly young. Um, in 19... 19- 68 the Bee Gees actually write and release a song called in the summer of his years and it's a tribute to brian epstein oh and sweet. how well said he did pass away definitely in the summer of his years it sounded like he was just getting started i know and it, it's so sad because like he had all that all like f- lack of a better term like failure right yeah. um like where he's just viewed as like uh you know like whatever and then he had these five years where he just like killed it killed it like yeah. absolutely crushed it and he dies. And it's then, like, no. It's so sad. Um, I'm going to share a little bit more about his legacy because mm-hmm. obviously that has withstood the test of time so far. So Sir Paul McCartney summarized the importance of Epstein when he was interviewed in 1997 for a BBC documentary about Brian Epstein saying, in quotes, if anyone was the fifth Beatle, it was Brian. Mm. So that's like really solidified him as the fifth Beatle. Right. And then in 1970, in a Rolling Stone interview, John Lennon commented that Epstein's death marked the beginning of the end for the group. Oh, wow. And they do break up, gosh, I think only like three years later or something, two, Mm -hmm. three years later. John Lennon said, uh, in quotes, I knew that we were in trouble then. I thought, we've fucking had it now. Wow. Mm -hmm. Jeez. In 2006, Cynthia Lennon, who is John Lennon's ex-wife, this is who he was married to during this whole situation. And habitually cheated on. And who he habitually cheated on, yeah. Um, She said, quote, I think Brian's one of the forgotten people. It's almost as if he's been written out of the Beatles story. I don't think they would have gotten anywhere without Brian. Mm. Yeah. So... The first contract that I mentioned earlier where they're like, oh, you could get 10 to 15% (laughs) of stuff and here's our mom and dad signing everything. Oh my God, so ridiculous. That contract was found and auctioned in London in 2008 for £240,000. Oh my God. For that one piece of paper. Oh my God. So while the Beatles were some of the first to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Brian Epstein was finally inducted in the non-performer section in 2014. Jeez, took long enough. It took a long time. So because I think, I think Cynthia Lennon had it right. Like for a really long time, um, he just wasn't really thought about because he he passed away so young, right? Right. But I think as sometimes time goes on, and definitely the surviving Beatles talking about him more and more, 
um, after their breakup really has shown people how much he was their glue. Mm-hmm. He was the head of that little family. They were really big personalities. Right, and they got so big so young. They got so big so young. <clears throat> they didn't always get along, which is normal. They had egos. They're musicians, man. Yeah. <laughs> they're challenging, like, right? Like Nuff said. Nuff said. They're brilliant, but they're challenging, and he kept them all even keeled. Mm. So it really, I do think that's really a big thing that contributed to them eventually just splitting up and, and not being able to resolve their arguments. Um, and so I'm glad that he's gotten much more recognition now. He was definitely a very, very covered figure in the class that I took at USC. Mm-hmm. And that is the story of outsider turned innovator and rock legend Brian Epstein, the man who gave us the Beatles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was really good. Oh, thank yeah. you. So I'm going to go into the sources because I think um, people will be really interested in them. Mm-hmm. So first, the biography.com article on Brian Epstein written by Colin Bertram. There's a CBS News article called The Beatles by the Numbers. And then I found some great information on him on this website called The Legacy Project. And The Legacy Project is committed to challenging the social and cultural marginalization of LGBTQ people. Oh my gosh, also happy Pride. Yeah, this is actually (laughs) quite coincidental. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But happy Pride Month, everyone. Um... There's also that Playboy interview, John Lennon and Yoko Ono, and they were interviewed by David Sheff. You can find a bootleg online like I did. Yeah. Far Out Magazine, Wikipedia. Of course. And then I cited here things I remembered from Professor Beersock's class (laughs) on the Beatles at USC. On the off chance Professor Beersock listens to this, or someone knows the man personally, I want to say thank you for teaching me how to savor music. Oh, that's really sweet. He changed... Like your perception. My whole perception of music, and I'm forever grateful. He's been teaching... Um, he teaches multiple like musical history classes at USC for over 40 years. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he's a musician himself, and he went to USC for undergrad. Oh, my God. That's crazy. So he's a super Trojan. Yeah, seriously. Uh, so I hope you all enjoyed that. I was actually a little nervous for this episode because... The Beatles are so important to me that I wanted to do the fifth Beatle justice. And I know there's so many people who know way more than I do. So please don't be offended if I left something out or got something wrong. Just let us know in the comments. Yeah. Wasn't he... Um, the one thing I remember that about Brian Epstein that we didn't cover is that like he was like threatened he was blackmailed on being outed there were rumors about it that is something that i told you that i learned in the beatles class for sure because when Mm. i looked it up the only information i found about it the only sources were tabloids so i actually don't even i don't know where professor beersock got that information but uh to give context for what andrew just said around the time of his death and partially why at the time a lot of people were claiming that it was a death by suicide was because a gang, like a local um, like mob, mm-hmm. threatened him that they had pictures of him with other men. One of his wow. uh, former sexual partners gave them photos, and they were blackmailing him. Oh. So that was something I heard, and there there is some stuff about it online, but I couldn't find a ton, so I didn't want to include it, just in case. Right, that's fair. But it's 
it's likely that happened. And again, it really contextualizes the pressure he could have been feeling. Absolutely. Um, because not only is it like, would the public perception be poor, unfortunately, but like you said, he could have gotten into legal issues, which is right. so like stupid. Gone to jail. Gone He's, to jail. Like, uh, that's absurd. Exactly. There's so much, like, there's, with the Beatles, like, there's so many things that are, that's almost like lore. I was just about to say it's like lore. Yeah. yeah. But because it, it's been so long, if you think about it, how long ago was this? I mean, the 60s, yeah. I mean, literally like 60 years ago. Like 19. The Ed Sullivan show, what did, was it 1963? 64. 64. Okay. So, like, in two years, they'll have the 60th anniversary of it. That's crazy. Yeah. Think and about. Paul McCartney's still alive and still performing. We just saw him. We just saw him. I mean, he's ancient. <laughs> he's yeah. Ancient. <laughs> Um, so I hope you all enjoyed that, weirdos. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Yes, thank you guys so much. And you know where to find us. History for Weirdos uh, on Instagram. <laughs> I was like, yeah, what was that social media site called? Also, you can email us at historyforweirdos at gmail.com. Um, don't forget, we have our 50th anniversary or 50th episode coming up. So... Send us questions. I know you, we've already gotten a ton. We yeah. s- probably still have room for a few more. Yeah. So send them our way, and we're looking forward to answering them in a few weeks. I also want to say um, really quickly before we say goodbye, thank you to you. To me. To you, because the only reason anything ever gets answered in terms of social media or emails is because of Andrew. He he. He gets so excited. Like, we both get busy and overwhelmed and we suck at social media. But Andrew gets so excited um, responding to comments and emails and stuff. And I get really anxious. Yeah. I get anxious. I'm like, what if, what if, I don't know. I don't know. I have anxiety. So there you go. Exactly. That's just where my brain goes. What if, dot, dot, dot. But Andrew gets. Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry. But thank you so much for um, responding to everyone. Yeah, of course. And honestly, guys, it's my pleasure. I love chatting you guys up. I There was um, one guy, and I, I am so sorry that your name escapes me, but we were like chatting for like a little while, <laughs> for like 30 minutes, like late one night. I'm like in bed. It means so much. And Andrew shows me like about all the messages and everything because you all keep us wanting to do this. It's yeah. so, so fun to connect with everyone. It really is. So um, thank you. Absolutely. And thank you guys. Well, until next time. Until next time, weirdos. Adios. Good morning, Vietnam. No, too much. (laughs) Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.